0: Thank mm-hmm. you.
1: way to keep a prisoner from escaping is to make sure they never know they're in prison.
2: I like it. Or don't like it. <laughs> hey everybody, welcome to the House of Mercy. I'm glad that you all came down from uh, your cabin or the up north or whatever you're doing to come and be uh, with us. Um, everybody on the TV and the radio, welcome to you as well. Um, well, let's say hey to that grand old Grievous Angel band. How y'all doing? Yeah. Good to see you. All right.
1: You know, our announcements are usually pretty routine here, but not so much tonight, because um, I, I, I hope you all had a chance to read the letter that I wrote, that, I sent, that we sent out in the newsletter. Because um, it's kind of hard to say the words aloud to you, my beloved community. But Jim and I have decided that we're retiring. I kind of hope that you're thinking, you seem too young for that. (laughs) But we're actually pretty old. Um, And we want to explore some things that we've always hoped to explore and to do that before we run out of energy. Of course, it was a really hard decision to make because I love the House of Mercy so much. And I couldn't imagine having a more meaningful uh, more meaningful or fulfilling work. But it's been in- increasingly hard to juggle taking care of my 92-year-old dad who lives in Indiana. With the time I need to be at church, that keep getting, keeps getting hard and it's not going to get easier. I'm also looking forward to working with my hands on the farm where we live with dirt and plants instead of words for a while. It's not without a lot of sadness, so we came to the decision, but we're excited too serendipitously, Mark Stenberg, uh, co-founder of House of Mercy, has been wanting to come back and spend more time in House of Mercy. And I can't imagine a more natural transition. Mark will join the staff for an interim year to preach and plan and bring beautiful, new, old, funny, smart energy. So I'm confident that things at House of Mercy will be good and fresh and full. I'll miss being a pastor here but I look forward to continuing friendships with you all. And I'm here for two more months. So that's plenty of time to get together. If you're interested, I'd love to do that. My last Sunday will be September 24th, which is the Feast of Jonah, which is the feast that's all about changing seasons. So it seems like a good last Sunday. Thank you all for being the best church ever. This is the House of Mercy and welcome to it.
3: I love to tell the story of unseen things above of jesus and his glory of jesus and his love i love to tell the story because i know it is true it satisfies my longing As nothing else would do I love to tell the story It will be my theme in glory To tell the old, old story Of Jesus and His love I love to tell the story More wonderful. golden fancies of all our golden dreams I love to tell the story it did so much for me and that is just the reason I tell it now to thee I love to tell the story it will be Each time I tell it more wonderfully sweet, I love to tell the story, for some have never heard the message of salvation from God's own holy word. I've love so long I love to tell the story it will be my theme in glory to tell the old old story of Jesus and his love
2: Won't you please join me in the prayer of invocation? God of mercy, we gather here hungry or too full or unsure of what we crave. Bring us to a place of peace, of pause, taking in first a breath and exhaling past desire, urgency to consume, a breath and peace that we might begin to understand what will fill our bellies and our souls. Amen. May the peace of God be with you all. Let's exchange a sign of peace with one another. Would you please join me in the prayers of community. I'll end each prayer with God in your mercy, and I invite you to respond, hear our prayer. God of mercy, the hour is late and we are in a deserted place. Our blood sugar is dropping and our anxiety rising with the risk of not enough, of not getting our share, not getting what we want, unsure of what we need. Feed us, give us what is required to feed each other. God in your mercy. God of mercy, we pray for those people who are in need of spiritual, emotional, and physical healing. For all those who have recently received a diagnosis, for those who are dying, for those who are mourning the loss of a loved one, for those who just feel icky, we pray especially for Barb, be with her, give her peace and strength. We pray for the widows, We pray for those in prison and those who are imprisoned by addiction. We pray for those of us suffering from mental illness. We ask that you hold us all in your healing arms and whisper to us words of peace. God in your mercy We have not loved you with all that we have. We have hurt people in our lives and those who pass through our lives with our stumbles and missteps and intentional words and actions. We ask for your forgiveness and the strength to be able to forgive others. God in your mercy. God of mercy, meet us now in this extended time of silence. Lead us in the way of radical mercy and gratitude. Amen. Amen.
3: The shadows lengthen fast Come home, come home, it's supper time We're going Beside her bedside, I was kneeling, and angel wings were winnowing the air. She heard the call for supper time in heaven, and now I know she's. Supper time the shadows lengthen fast. Come home, come home, it's supper time. We're going. Tables ready up in heaven. It's supper time upon the golden strand.
4: Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away, so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled, and they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Sometimes I like it when I go to look at the text I'm supposed to preach on, And it's nice. I mean, I don't always need nice, but I kind of like it once in a while. And this is kind of a difficult Sunday, announcing retirement. So I'm grateful that there's no people being thrown into the fiery furnace tonight. This is a story where it seems like there won't be enough food, and then there is. People sitting down in the nice grass by the shore of a lake, sharing a miraculous meal together. I like stories about extraordinary meals like in Narnia or Babette's Feast. Food is the most basic need for everything that lives. It's like the least common denominator. And it can be so beautiful. A mom nursing her baby, a green curry with red chilies. My grandpa was a traveling typewriter salesman, and I don't think my dad ever experienced him as particularly nurturing. But one of my best memories is of my grandpa going out in his backyard, all wild and overgrown, weeds, weeds, going out there though to pick me a bowl of black raspberries. And he brought them in and he sprinkled sugar on them and cream. And it tasted like love. Stories about meals and food and hunger, they're all over the place. In folk tales and fairy tales, the pot that never gets empty, magic banquets, Hansel and Gretel are lost in the woods and they find a house made of gingerbread covered in frosting and candy. I mean, I guess that one does end up getting a little bit scary. (laughs) Here in Matthew, the food is pretty simple. But, I mean, if the fish is fresh, and the bread is good, and it's evenly distributed, a lovely story. Matthew definitely means to bring to mind another really major food story in the Bible, the story of the manna in the wilderness. There's a lot of references to it and specific words that match in the setting. In the manna, in the story in Exodus, the manna story in Exodus, you probably know it. But God's just freed the people from slavery in Egypt, and they've escaped to wilderness, the wilderness, a deserted place. There's no kitchen or ovens or gardens, obviously, and they need food. So the people start wishing they were back in Egypt where they had food. They were slaves, but they had food. In Exodus, God doesn't appear to get mad at them for thinking this. And I mean, maybe God could have planned ahead a little bit better for the food thing. But God says, okay, I am going to rain down bread from heaven for you. So the people find this mysterious bread all over the ground every morning. And what's more, even in the evening, all these quails come in, so the people have both bread and meat. That's an exodus. That same story is in in Numbers, but it's a little bit different there. In Numbers, the people are sick of the manna by the time that the reader even hears of the manna. They complain and they cry, if only we had meat to eat. And Moses hears the people weeping, throughout their families, all at the entrances to their tents, like they're lying at the entrances to their tents, crying, if only we had meat to eat. Moses seeing all the people laying at the entrances to their tent, crying, if only we had meat, gets pretty irritated with them. And with God, I mean... He's probably not been sleeping well and it's hot and the whole thing is stressful. So he yells at God, why are you treating me so badly, laying the burden of these complaining people all on me? Did I give birth to them? Where am I to get meat for these people? He's like, I can't do this alone, God. It's too heavy. If this is the way you're gonna treat me, just kill me now, Moses says. There are a couple of glimpses of Moses in the stories about him that I just love, where he seems so much more exasperated Jewish grandmother kvetching than renowned biblical patriarch. So human and funny, I think actually, just kill me now. (laughs) God hears Moses and and so God takes some of the spirit that's been on Moses and he puts it on some elders. So Moses doesn't feel like the burden's all his. And God says to Moses, say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow you shall eat meat. God goes on, I've heard you wailing for meat. Surely it was better for us when we were in Egypt, you said. So, okay, I'll give you meat and you shall eat. You shall eat not only one day or two days, or five days, or 10 days, or 20 days for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you've rejected me and wailed, why did we ever leave Egypt?" I'm quoting almost exactly from Numbers 11. I mean, doesn't it sound like a fight that you'd have with your kids on a long car trip? Or, I mean, something that maybe worse parents would do with whiny kids? Moses hears God saying this about the meat, that he's going to feed the people, and he's like, oh, brother, there are 600,000 people here, God, and you say you're going to give them meat for a month? The Lord's indignant. What? You think I can't? You think my power is limited? Watch me. And eventually a wind went out from the Lord, and it brought quails from the sea which some Jewish commentators commentators interpret as fish because quail don't come from the sea. And it's a lot of quail or fish. They fill the area that would be like a day's journey on either side of the camp, the text says, three feet deep. Piles and piles of these bodies of fish or quail. It is not really a very yummy scene. (laughs) Not like sitting down on the nice grass by the lake for a light meal. The people frantically gather the meat, but when it was still between their teeth, God's anger is kindled against them and he sends a plague and many people die. Not a really nice story. God gives them the, meat, them the meat to punish them for wanting too much or not wanting the right thing, everybody in the story seems aggravated and unhappy and not very loving. And that makes sense. They're wandering in the wilderness for a really long time. It's a long, hot, stressful trip. The feeding of the 5,000 is so serene in comparison to that story. When you put them side by side, The people and God and Moses and Numbers all seem a little immature. Like, clearly they hadn't figured out how to work together yet or trust each other. They all seem so insecure. Earlier in Matthew, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He hasn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights Another reference to the Exodus story. And, of course, he was hungry. So the devil says, if you're the son of man, then turn those stones into bread. You're hungry. A lot of people are. If you're God, make bread. But Jesus seems to know that's not who God is. That's not the kind of God that people need. One who shows off through power. So Jesus doesn't make bread. But in the story of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus does apparently make bread miraculously. But it's such a different scene. It's not even clear if anybody even knows that Jesus is making the bread. Jesus, in this story, gets on a boat because he's trying to find a quiet place because he's just heard that his cousin John has been murdered. And so he wants to be alone. But while he's on the boat, boat, the people, it turns out, have walked their way to this deserted place. So when Jesus lands the boat, all the people are there, this huge crowd on the shore. It seems to me like Jesus would have so many reasons to feel something different than compassion. Like how irritating. But Jesus has compassion on the crowd. He heals all the sick among them. I mean, you could think that that hardly even seems human, such patient acceptance. It doesn't seem real. But maybe it's just that Jesus is someone who has had a lot of his edges softened because living in the love and trusting the infinite mercy, because he's so infused, so one with the Spirit, with the presence of God, He's sad about his cousin, but he likes being with the people. He's grateful for them, curious about them. He has compassion for them. He hangs out with the crowd all day, gets late, past supper time. And the disciples finally say, look, we should probably send all these people away now to go buy food in town for themselves. I kind of like it that the disciples anticipate that the crowds will get hungry, like a mom or a dad. The people don't have to cry out, we want meat. Because the disciples have anticipated their needs. Or, I don't know, it could be that the whole they'll need food thing is just a charade, and really the disciples just want to get rid of the people. But Jesus says they don't need to go away You give them something to eat. The disciples are like, well, we don't really have any food to give them. Sort of like Moses in the desert when he's all like, what, where am I supposed to get meat? Except it isn't like that at all. It's a much gentler scene. No one is clamoring for food, laying in doors, weeping, we want meat. If the disciples felt begrudging or burdened, they don't really let on. There's no exasperated Moses feeling totally overburdened and unloved saying, if this is how you're gonna treat me, just kill me now. There's no angry God enacting his rage. They're all sort of acting like like people who have started to hear the good news. Or like everyone, or like the story has grown up a little since those early days when the people had just started their journey with God. The relationship was new and nobody trusted anybody yet then. If Matthew is commenting on numbers, which seems likely, it's really interesting to note the differences. In all the gospel accounts of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus is clear that he'd like the disciples to be involved in the meal. They say they don't have much food, They aren't really sure if it's possible to feed all the people. And none of them, does Jesus say, What? You think my power is limited? Watch me. In this encounter with the devil, we learn that Jesus won't dazzle the people by turning stones to bread, keeping them mesmerized by his charisma. He doesn't want to keep the people like slaves, serfs, subservient, all working for him, worshiping him, so that he'll feed them. That is the sort of Lord that people were used to. A powerful master, high above the inferior masses, who regards most humans as too weak or vicious or stupid or unworthy, to even provide for themselves, much less feed each other. They need a master to rule over them. That was where the people in the wilderness with Moses were coming from. They were coming from slavery. Their conception of the Lord was infused by their experience with Pharaoh. The people were just getting started. Maybe it takes a long while to begin to imagine what a God who sets you free is like. Probably not like someone who gets mad because you doubt him, so he sends a plague to kill you. Probably not like a powerful master who rewards the good and punishes the bad and actually seems to kind of want slaves to worship him. There's something about that surprisingly popular image of God, though, that powerful God that demands subservience, that doesn't seem quite like love. But I'm not sure even with all those years behind us, all those stories of Jesus told over and over again, that our idea of God has been quite entirely transformed yet. It's a powerful idol. It's hard to get rid of that concept of the Lord. It helps to keep looking at Jesus. I love this story in Matthew The disciples think they should send the crowd away. Jesus says, don't send them away. You feed them. Which could seem like that is asking too much. How could they? They know that they don't have enough. But it turns out that Jesus isn't really demanding that they have enough to fill everyone's need. He's inviting them to participate. It's like he needs them to work with him. Which is sort of how love works. You work together. It's mutual. It's not some grand master using people as puppets. Jesus sets us free. It's a relationship. God wants us involved, thinks highly enough of us to give us God's spirit. Like we're worthy to be part of it all, share in the compassion. Like God likes us wants to be with us. Not that Jesus doesn't know we're human or is all naive about our brokenness, but it's like Jesus trusts the love will make us whole, fully human, which is all God wants. Not just like as individuals or something, but as community, the profoundly interdependent community which we in fact are. These days, it often seems to me like the cupboards are totally bare, like every good thing is diminishing in this climate crisis, and this dying democracy. It really seems like there is not enough. Hope, confidence in the good, peace, kindness, it's like it's all running out. I mean, there's not like five loaves and two fish. There's like one little dry crust. I mean, what are we going to do but send everyone on their way to find their own food? But I'm sure Jesus would say, they don't need to go away. You feed them. And he's not being aggressive or like snotty or mean. It's actually an invitation to believe in the abundance. So when you really hear it, you don't react poorly because what you hear is love. And so you just start doing it. You don't make an inventory of what you think you have because that's kind of beside the point. You just start doing it, giving something, making food or coffee or saying hi to someone or feeding the cat or growing something from a little seed and dirt, or just handing out the one little itty bitty speck of kindness you have in a day. I don't know, maybe you have a lot. But it's proceeding with the belief that there is enough love to go around. Even if you're actually aware at the moment that you aren't feeling it, you have a crumb. But there's this whole web of interdependence made alive by the Spirit of God that holds us. Jesus doesn't demand that we come up with enough. He's confident that it's already there. He frees us to live gratefully and generously, free to give and free to receive the bread.
0: President, God above our King, with a job and pension for the young and old, we will make Alleluia's ring. To feed the ones who starve We build our civilization up And we shoot it down with wars But with a carpenter On the seat Way up in the capital town The USA would be on